Hi everyone, I'm Mike. And I'm Steven. And welcome to Re-Oscar, show about Hollywood's biggest night, where we go over what they got right, where they went wrong, give you some useless facts along the way. This year, uh, we're covering the 1977 Oscars. So we're looking at pictures from 1976. It's an interesting, interesting year. So my feelings about 76 are there are a handful of classic movies, which is why everyone thinks that 76 was a great, great year for cinema. But you strip away those handful of movies and you have a pretty trash year of movies. A lot of exploitation movies, a lot of black exploitation movies, a lot of cheap horror movies, a lot of cheap kung fu movies because you've got Bruce Lee dying in 73. So you now have that initial wave of uh, kung fu movies coming through and tribute. And there are still like tribute movies to Bruce Lee coming out in 76. Mm -hmm. So... The Western's kind of in a weird place other than Outlaw Josie Wells. It's not a lot of good Westerns and a lot of really strange science fiction movies. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it, it it's kind of a time of transition, I think, between... I mean, we're a year away from Star Wars. We're, we're a year yeah. away from uh, Lucas kind of changing the sci-fi trajectory. So you have a lot of cheap, weird sci-fi movies that look incredibly dated we might talk about Logan's run later, maybe, but for now, uh, your thoughts on, on uh, 76? Uh, well, I picked this year because it's it's one of, I mean, it's considered to be one of the the best years in cinema. And, and I think there's a good reason for that. It, there are a lot of, like you said, just uh, like blockbuster movies at the, at the top of the line. You know, you have Network, All the President's Men, and Rocky. Like, th these are things that I think people say in retrospect that it was a good year because looking back on it, a lot of these films are still kind of important to culture today. Rocky in particular just sort of set the template for sports movies that would come after it. And uh, Network really prescient about celebrity culture, reality TV, um, and all the president's men, my God, like you can't find a film that's more in line with what's happening today than that one. So it's pretty wild how impactful just those three films are out of all of yeah. them. Yeah. And I think that, that you hit the nail on the head in, because what I always talk about is like template movies. When we're talking about Goodfellas, we kind of talk about that, like a, a movie yeah. that kind of fits the template for things going forward. And here you have at least four template movies, if you really think about it, because. I mean, I think that Network kind of set a template for a certain kind of satire, which becomes more prevalent as we go on. I think All the President's Men easily sets the template for the journalism movie. I mean, and that follows through all the way up to Spotlight, which only came out a few years ago in terms of yeah. like uh, how, how journalism movies look and how they work. Uh, I would say that Carrie's fascinating because I think that even though it's a horror movie, what it actually sets the template for is like the teen comedy because the parts in which they're setting up the what they end up doing to carry is almost handled in this weird comedy style which i think when you strip away the murder actually sets the template for like porkies and everything else that comes after him in in, in the early 80s so <laughs> yeah i couldn't help but shake that thought so it's almost like that was a template movie as well and of course rocky's the template movie for like every sports movie that's come after it so uh the, the other thing I think was really interesting is that 76 
is a great, it's like a seminal year for movie quotes. I mean, all of the big movies have a quote that is followed. And I think that's also why that this year sticks so much with us. I mean, Carrie has, they're all going to laugh at you. All the president's men has followed the money. Taxi driver, of course, has you talking to me, which is funny because Rocky also says the same exact thing. When Apollo comes into the ring and starts taunting Rocky, Rocky looks to, to Mickey and he's like, is he talking to me? <laughs> which is kind of funny. So that, that comes up in both movies. And Network has, uh, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Right. Actually, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Right. But it changes it to I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. But it's this. Just yeah. Like, yeah. It's a it's a Berenstein Bears situation. How do you remember? Right, exactly. <laughs> so I think that's also why these movies stay with us. Because everyone's been quoting these movies for decades, maybe not even knowing where they came from where these quotes are actually from, but they're all from movies from 76. So. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those years that has just sort of imprinted itself into the culture and uh, for good reason. I mean, those four films in particular are just so important and just groundbreaking and they're referenced all the time for good reason. And I don't know if there's another year that's like that. I mean, maybe when we look at what the greatest years in cinema are maybe that's why like maybe that's the metric is like how much of an imprint has it had on the culture going forward i mean that, like the other the other years that people always talk about are the year of the wizard of oz and and gone with the wind and, uh you know that's clearly had a cultural impact that's lasted and then again 1999 i mean there there's so much in that year that we still reference just the matrix alone is is like all four of these movies put together in the culture. Um, so maybe that's what it is about this year that's so special is, is it's not even the the films themselves, but uh, sort of the mark they leave. I don't know. Yeah, and I think that that also speaks to, when I think about 76 now, I mean, not the rest of the movies, because as I said, a lot of those are garbage, but the main <laughs> movies of 76, it's, we're in the 70s, so we're kind of like hitting peak 70s cinema here. And it's very much a year of the screenwriter. Which yeah. I think is why you have tons of quotable lines, but the the screenplays themselves are so strong. That's how you end up with great movies, uh, and and it's basically you know Taxi Driver script. I mean, everyone knows it's Paul Schrader's, but I mean, I think his first screenplay. So I mean, it's the beginning of, of Paul Schrader, and the screenplay for All the President's Men, and obviously Network being just the considered. I mean, the template for a yeah. great entire screenplay. I mean, just, just look at the screenwriters from this year. You have Patty Chayefsky for Network. Uh, you have Stallone for Rocky. William Goldman wrote All the President's Men, but he wrote it based on the book by Woodward and Bernstein. Uh, you have Woody Guthrie in a weird way. Um, it's, my God, those are all like heavy hitters who wrote these movies. So it makes perfect sense what you're saying. It's amazing. Yeah, it was it was a, a great year for writers, no, no doubt about it. And good writing makes good movies, as we've seen. Yeah, unless unless you're making '80s action films, then then you know all bets are off. But for for a good <laughs> Oscar type movie, you have to have a really good '76 <laughs> is all over. I would argue some of those '80s movies have pretty good writing too, but just in a no different. Order for me. No order for me. And 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 <laughs> it's I think it's good to talk about them and go back and include Stallone. With 
because because Rocky is so in the zeitgeist and we just consider it to be what it is and all the sequels. I don't think people remember what a great screenplay Rocky really was and how much credit he deserves for writing that film because it's it's great on the page. It's a really well written movie. So yeah, whatever you think is looking after it and, and all of that, you have to respect the fact that, that Rocky was just an excellent screen. Yeah, I think Stallone gets overlooked as a screenwriter. I mean, uh, that's his personality has something to do with it and and starring in these films maybe you forget about it a little bit and you know there are always the stories about <laughs> how he goes about writing and and uh the things he does behind the scenes but yeah i mean when you get down to it rocky's a great script there will be a time where we get much deeper into stallone but <laughs> now, now is not that time I cannot so, wait. so some fun facts about some things that went on in 76 yep uh, which i think are interesting uh, well, one, I mean, Jimmy Carter was elected president, which was a huge show. So that, that was kind of the, the biggest news story of the time. Yeah. TV shows that were interesting to me. Uh, you know, Wonder Woman was still in its first season in 76, which I think is interesting. Uh, the Linda Carter Wonder Woman. Never better. Everyone, Linda Carter is the only Wonder Woman. Uh, and Alice doesn't live here. At the, the TV show Alice started in 76, which, of course, was based on the movie Alice doesn't live here anymore which was directed by Scorsese, which was the movie he directed right before he directed Taxi Driver. So there are connections. Uh, <laughs> interesting thing, maybe only for me, I stumbled on the fact that, you know what the number one toy of 1976 was? What? It was the Cher doll. Wow. It was basically Cher as like a Barbie doll. Uh-huh. And I think it was designed by Bob Mackey or something. And... Uh, I think there was also a Sony Bono doll, but no one cared about that. But the, the right. Cher doll was like the biggest selling toy of 1976. Wow. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Second was Stretch Armstrong, which everybody had. But what was interesting about that, which I discovered, which I didn't know, is that it was actually filled with corn syrup. It just goes to show that corn syrup yeah. works for everything. In, in America, you use corn syrup for anything. That's, That's crazy. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. See, this is what huh. I'm here for. Share these useless things with, with everyone. So, <laughs> corn syrup. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, those are some crazy tidbits for the year, especially the corn syrup. Um, so, do we want to let's talk about some of the uh, some of the other films that year that maybe didn't get the Oscar recommendations that perhaps should have? Uh, I don't, I don't think there are any this year. To be honest, there are interest, some interesting movies, not a lot. I think uh, the Academy really got it right in terms of what they picked. Although I think uh, Marathon Man was overlooked other than Best Supporting Actor. I, I There were a few. Well, I guess we can get into these when we, when we really, when we talk about things that we really liked. But uh, yeah, a lot of good, well, maybe not a lot, but uh, a few good films outside of the Oscar race, uh, in my opinion, uh, perhaps not deserving of Oscars. Still a lot of fun to watch. And we can talk about those later. But uh, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, let's just get to it then. Let's let's get to the Oscars and and uh, see what they got right and fix it for them when they didn't. Yep. Uh, and we're going to hit the main categories and we're going to look at a couple of others, I think, for this year, because there's a couple of uh, lesser categories that, that uh, we feel like we can't let go. So we want to start with those first. I have no problem with starting with those first. Let's when do we it. Where, where we, we want to start. So the original song category, of course, in retrospect, just feels like a a giant miss. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
there's no disputing the Rocky song, right? I mean, look, like, we all like Barbara Streisand. I mean, I'm I'm never going to deny the power of, of Barbara Streisand, but there's no denying that Star Is Born was was not that good of a movie, uh, which is why there really were no other nominations. But I feel like they really wanted to give Streisand something, and so uh, best original song went to Evergreen, the love theme from The Star Is Born, as it's called. And really, when we think about Barbara Streisand, does anyone really think of the song Evergreen? I sure don't. Co-written by Paul Williams, by the way. Right. Yeah. Written by Paul Williams. That's that's a whole other thing, too. We talk about Paul Williams for a while. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> but uh, no, no one thinks of Evergreen when they think of Streisand. However, whenever anyone thinks about any training montage or doing any kind of running or training or boxing, Gonna Fly Now is the song that is playing in your head. Yeah, I think that's kind of like we were saying with, you know, the films that were steadfast from the year that they're still around. Like that song is is a big part of Rocky and and like a big part of why we still think about Rocky. Like you said, anybody who does anything, anytime I go running, I can tell you that I ran the Philadelphia half marathon and I bought Gonna Fly Now and I just listened to it over and over the whole time because it's like you have to. Anytime you're doing anything, that's the song. And so I, I never think of Evergreen. Uh, almost I never. never. run to Evergreen. I never, not, never. I never <laughs> use that. But, but for me, I have, I have two kids. And the first time I played Gonna Fly Now for both of them, they both got up and like immediately started moving around. That's how powerful it is. I played Evergreen for the both of them. I got nothing. That was nothing. Yeah, it really didn't stand the test of time. So it, it's not evergreen. It's not evergreen. Yeah, that, that's that's right. That was a poorly named song. Yeah, that's true. So clearly, Gonna Fly Now should have had best song. It um, just has to be addressed. We, we had to start with it. It's just too upsetting to realize that that was overlooked. But I guess uh, Bill Conti got the last laugh. So Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, then let's move on. I was going to bring up cinematography, but... Uh, I would the love only to cinematography. Go for it. The only reason I wanted to bring it up, and it, I don't, I don't know that even what I'm going to mention falls into the Oscar category, but I just wanted to bring up that if you look at uh, the use of the split diopter lens this year, it is overwhelming. And so, for people who don't know, that's the the sort of Hitchcock look where the things are in focus in the back and the front of the shot with the kind of foggy middle line because that center space isn't in focus and it's used to death in all the president's men. And in my opinion, for no reason in a lot of cases, but it is grossly overused in carry. Ryan De Palma loves the split diopter lens and just seeing everything in the background, everything in the foreground and a super annoying foggy line down the middle drives me crazy. But I don't know what it was about 1976 that made that such a such a tool to go to. But uh, it was just interesting to see that in in the films that I watched. Do we know how long that had been around? Was it fairly new? Is that why it was overused in 76? I don't think so. I think Hitchcock used it early on. Um, well, and... that, that explains why De Palma used it, of course. Sure, sure. Boy. De Palma really borrows a lot from uh, a lot of different uh, filmmakers in Carrie, that's for sure. But yeah, it, I, I think it had been around for a while. I don't, I don't think it was that late in the game that 
that that depth of field was happening. And I'll say that it's still used today and I want, and it hasn't gotten any better, <laughs> which is baffling to me. You'd think they would have uh, made it a little more natural looking by now, but uh, I guess not. But yeah, just something I noticed about the year, the, the year of the split diopter lens. So I'll talk about two things connected to that, but not connected because I see Logan's run was not made for cinematography. I'll use this as just a brief thing. Uh, it's not really about cinematography, but I know some people have good feelings about Logan's run. It's kind of become a cult classic. I had never seen it before. Decided to watch it for this and uh, could barely get through it. It is just genuinely not a good movie at all. And I do not know why in the mid seventies, everyone thought that the future would be so shiny and tinfoil like or why in Logan's Run, like the main meeting place is a giant mall. I just find all of that to be really strange. The whole movie is just ridiculous and stupid. And Lucas basically kills Logan's Run almost immediately when Star Wars comes out. It just kills all of that Logan's Run sci-fi-ish silliness, uh, which was a very good thing. But yeah, I, I, I have this theory about these kinds of movies. As someone who watched lots of bad movies when they were a kid, I think that there are certain kinds of movies that if you see them when you're a child, you will always love them as you did when you were a kid because you almost see them in the same way. Yeah. But if you see a bad movie that you should have seen as a kid, as an adult, it's impossible to not see how bad it is. And Logan's <laughs> Run is one of those. If I had seen Logan's Run on TV when I was eight years old, maybe I would love it to this day. But seeing it as an adult, it's a trash movie and... There's no way to get around it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, I guess uh, I'm trying to think of an instance where that wouldn't be the case for me, but I, I can't think of any. Uh, yeah, but there are plenty of them from the, the 80s that I, and, I recognize are garbage, but I still love them. Right. That, that's uh, I have many, many of those movies. And one more interesting just camera thing while we're talking about it, uh, which I learned as I was going through all this, that Rocky, the famous staircase sequence in Rocky, where he runs up the steps, was actually, I believe, the first use of the Steadicam. Really? Yeah. I think it was the first time that they used the Steadicam in a movie. So uh, that maybe that's what made that scene so effective. And, and uh, yeah, it was it was the first use of, of being able to use that camera. So huh. uh, there you go. Yeah, I didn't know that. That was a, a big thing that when Carpenter used it, he used it as, a, I think it was called the Panaflex, kind of the variation of the Steadicam in Halloween and that also I guess he was inspired by Rocky when he did that that was a huge uh, a, a huge moment when he started using that and especially from a killer's perspective because that kind of was adopted and uh I think the steady cam actually won out over the the it's not Panaflex I can't remember but whatever the Panavision version of that was um so yeah the, the 70s were the steady cam uh Steadicam decade, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, well, Rocky used the first. There you go. I mean, we could do a whole thing on just the camera work of Halloween, but yeah, this is that. But there's some fascinating things I learned about uh, camera work in, in Halloween when I yeah. took a class on, on the horror movie, but that's neither here nor there. And, and by the way, I the say, to, to just completely go off topic, I will just say to, anyone can do this. If you can watch Halloween in its original widescreen version and then figure out a way to get the pan and scan version, which was released on VHS back in the day when mm -hmm. they used to have that. Yeah. If you watch both of those movies back to back, 
you'll see that they're almost two completely different experiences. Yeah. Because the pan and scan actually changes the movie. And you can decide whether or not it's for better or worse. There's actually more jump scares in the pan and scan version uh, than there are on the widescreen version. But they're right. two completely different feels. So uh, anyone who loves movies, I highly recommend that, that you do that because it's just a fun way to see how the camera work can actually influence how you react to a movie and how you see it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> I love that it creates more jump scares, just to, like it has to. Right. <laughs> because because Michael hiding behind the hedges isn't in the shot anymore. So it's exactly. no longer ominous. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, so it changes from ominous to just, you know, jump, making you jump out of your seat, which is so two completely different movies. I, I think it's really, really interesting. That I, that feels like a book or an essay or something. I think, um, just just so for myself, uh, the split diopter lens used well into the forties. Greg Tolan used it uh, even in Citizen Kane, of course, and and uh, even before that. So uh, Hitchcock picked it up from him, just just to set the record straight. Not that anybody's interested. Yeah, I actually feel silly for even saying that then, because I mean, since I watched Citizen Kane like a thousand times, obviously uh, I'm well aware of that. Yeah, I completely forgot about it. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, do you want to you want to get to these categories? Yeah, let's jump in. Okay, we'll start at the bottom and work our way up, and we'll get into the best supporting actress. Um, Beatrice Strait won famously for Network five minutes 40 seconds or something like that on screen um a bit controversial i suppose but uh the other the other nominees were jane alexander for all the president's men jody foster in taxi driver uh lee grant in voyage of the damned and piper laurie and carrie what do you think so this this is the most interesting category i think of the entire 77 academy awards because mm -hmm. <laughs> Gives you a picture into like what the movies were in, in, in a way that the supporting actors category is a really difficult category i think even finding nominees because the movies had strong a lot of movies had strong female leading roles but a lot of these movies took place in male-dominated places yeah uh, newsrooms uh you know obviously boxing is pretty male-dominated uh and Taxi Driver, of course, was just following one person. So not a whole lot of supporting roles in that at all. Uh, so I think that supporting female roles in general were lesser than they might usually be. Mm -hmm. uh, the one side to that is Carrie would be the opposite of that, where it takes place in high school. There's a lot of female roles. Right. Look, to be honest, not a ton of great acting coming out of Carrie. I mean, they all did. <laughs> a good job for what the movie required, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily nominate any of those uh, young actresses for best supporting actor. Uh, yeah. Maybe best scene chewing. <laughs> yeah. And even, and yeah. me personally, if I was going to pick between these people, I mean, even Jodie Foster wasn't in Taxi Driver for very long, unless she was really good in that part. I mean, just as you watch, you can't get over the fact that she was 12 years old. It's, it's insane. Uh, and the fact that she also, Freaky Friday also came out the same year. So you see her in Freaky Friday, <laughs> and you Taxi Driver, and it's, you could pretty much understand that Jodie Foster was going to be a, a great actress for years yeah. to come. Um, she was 12 that year? Yeah, she was 12 when she made Taxi Driver. 
so, and Gene Alexander's barely in all the president's men, important scene, but I mean, very little screen time. Beecher Street, network. I mean, she has that one great scene. I think she won it for really the only scene she's in. I mean, that yeah. one speech that she gives when her husband is leaving her, it, it, it's great. It's powerful. It, she's wonderful in it. But mm -hmm. is it award winning for that one scene? I mean, I can't really accept that. Uh, Piper Laurie is, is, if I was going to pick between these people, I would pick Piper Laurie for Carrie. She'd actually been out of acting for many years and came back to do this. Mm -hmm. And I can understand why she may not have won because it's a little hammy. It's a bit over the top. Yeah, and it's uh, horror, which which the Oscars do not like. Right, right. It's not full like David Lynch, uh, wild at heart overacting as we talked about before, but but it's a little over the top, and so they might frown on that. Uh, but but I do think that Sissy Spacek needed something really a really strong actor to play off of, and I think that Piper Laurie provided that by just being batshit nuts. Uh, and, and really uh, going for it in that part. So I probably would have ordered it to her, but this is one of the few years where personally I would go out of the field and I would say that I think that a criminally overlooked performance in a supporting role in this year was Tatum O'Neill in The Bad News Bears. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really fun movie and she's the center of it, really. I mean, she's the only adult in the movie. If you think about it, yeah. So, really so would she be? So would would she be best actress then instead of supporting actress? I mean, I guess the role is a supporting role. Yeah, I think the role is still a supporting role. I mean, that's how I would categorize it. Maybe that's what did her in. Maybe they considered it a, a best actress role. I don't think that's really true though. I think of all the the supporting female performances in in this year of movies, I think that hers was the best. Now, obviously, her being a child isn't an issue because they nominated Jodie Foster. I'm actually surprised that she didn't get any recognition, maybe just because it was a silly comedy. Uh, I don't really know what goes on in the minds of Academy voters, but but I, I probably would have gone there. Yeah. I, I, well, maybe they only can nominate so many children for the <laughs> for the role. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So so uh, Tatum O'Neill for uh, Bad News Bears. Uh, for me, I think. Yeah, I agree with what you said about Piper Laurie. Um, I just feel like everybody in Carrie, having rewatched it, uh, is so cartoonish and over the top. Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's from Carrie's perspective, and that's what she's seeing as 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 like this world around her being just so uh, uh, like a like carnival like or something. Everybody is just wild in this film <laughs> and uh, Piper Laurie included. So if you, you know, if you look at her doing what she's supposed to do uh, the way everybody else is doing it, yeah, then, then she's in. But I, for me, I don't, I don't know. I mean, everybody in that movie was just so wacky that it's, uh, it's tough for me to think about it in that way. Um, Jane Alexander's role in all the president's men was, uh, having rewatched it, it, it's such a pivotal scene. I mean, it really is like the middle of the movie that changes the direction of of their investigation. But even though it's important, I don't know if that means that the performance is, is that great. Like, I don't know if that's Oscar worthy or not. Um, so I think also having rewatched Network, Beatrice Strait's uh, single scene is just so powerful that 
for years I was thinking this is ridiculous like why does she have a five minute scene and gets an Oscar but having rewatched it I think it's just so good and I think maybe Jodie Foster aside uh I think it's it's the best like performance as an actor in one of these films um Jodie Foster was pretty great as well but uh yeah for me it's Beatrice Strait I think they got it right so uh, I don't think I would have said that if I hadn't watched it again, but uh, I, I just really loved her performance in it. Interesting. Just a, a side useless note for, for everybody here while we're talking about Carrie and casting and all of that. <laughs> so I learned something interesting while I was going through all this as well, that the casting of Carrie was basically done at the exact same time as the casting for Star Wars. So a lot, it was just like an open casting call where they brought in a whole bunch of teenagers and and people of that age to basically audition for Star Wars, Lucas was running the audition process. And De Palma was just like the creepy guy sitting in the back of the room, kind of being there <laughs> as well, watching the auditions. And he was making notes because he was also casting for Carrie. So William Catt, who was in Carrie, he was actually auditioning for the role of Luke Skywalker, which is really interesting to think about how that may have gone. Uh, I'm okay with the fact that William Catt ends up becoming the greatest American hero on TV so yeah. maybe that worked out for all of us, except him. But <laughs> uh, I, he really wanted that part of Luke Skywalker. But I think it's fascinating to think of the people who ended up in Carrie all auditioned for Star Wars as well. So I, I just yeah. think things I find pretty interesting. That is interesting. And I can see how William Catt is is very Mark Hamillish. So I guess they had uh, sort of a type they were going for, for Luke Skywalker. But now, see, now I'm going to start thinking, like, what if I just reverse their careers? And what if William Catt were Luke Skywalker? And and what if Mark Hamill were the greatest American hero and in-house? And what an interesting world it would have been. Um, all right, let's move on to Best Supporting Actor. The, uh, the award went to Jason Robards for All the President's Men. Uh, other nominees, Ned Beatty and Network. That's, that's another very uh, short performance uh burgess meredith in rocky lawrence olivier in the marathon man and burt young also in rocky two rocky votes that's uh that's interesting um for me uh i would give it to ned Beatty. <laughs> um you're all I, about really small but really impactful performances when you think about network like the way you would think about rocky today you think about the theme song you think about the template of the film when you think about network, you you think about how prescient it was with the celebrity culture and and reality television and the twenty four hour news cycle. But you also think about Ned Beatty's scene and just how big he was at the end of that table giving this monologue. Um, outside of Howard Beale yelling out the window, that's the scene you remember from Network. And I think just like Beatrice Strait, it's it's memorable. It's it's brilliant acting, uh, not taking anything away from anybody else in this category, because I think uh, Burgess Meredith, of course, was wonderful. And and Burt Young would almost come in as as like a runner up for me uh, after Jason Robards, because I think he's very underappreciated as Polly. But yeah, to also uh, uh, Jason Robards is just wonderful in network. Um, I haven't seen the post where Tom Hanks plays the same person, but I'm guessing that Jason Robards is better. I have um, seen it and he was. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going Ned Beatty in this. 
what a great speech, uh, you know, great, great uh, uh, content for him to read or to perform and, and uh, beautifully shot scene. So those things contribute to it, but yeah, I'm going Ned Beatty. What about you? Yeah, I, re I really love that scene. Um, I will say that I do think that Burgess Meredith and Burt Young canceled each other out because you had two uh, Rocky performances nominated. And I will say, I think for Rocky in general, I think that kind of what happens is as time goes on and we see Rocky as an entity and, and we see it in our minds, we see it all together, we see all the sequels and we see everything in one jumbled mess. And, and we really forget how strong these initial performances were. And, you know, Burt Young, as Polly kind of becomes a caricature as the years go on, uh, more of a, a, a character plate for laughs. But there's something really powerful in his performance. It, it's, and you just see all of his pain and, and uh, his self-sabotage. And you see all this stuff in the performance. It, it's, it's, it's really, really effective. Um, I think it's. I think the Ray. I think it's very underrated. And I agree with you that Ned Beatty's speech is one of the best speeches in all of '70s movies. Uh, and I love Jason Robards as much as anybody. Uh, almost everything that he's in, especially in his later years, he's just one of yeah. those people you see and you enjoy seeing him there. Um, for me, I maybe it's my Rocky bias going going through, but I just think that. Burgess Meredith. I think Mickey is, is one of my favorite movie characters of all time. And I yeah. think his performance of it is, is so good. Um, and then this is one of the movies, one of the only movies of the Rocky movies where he gets a truly dramatic scene. Mm -hmm. I, I just love the scene where he goes to Rocky's apartment and, you know, wants to ask to be his manager and he, and he yeah. tells him about his, his history and all the scars that he's gotten and you know, you can just see how desperately he wants to be something too, that his whole life has been nickel and dime as well. And that he's looking for a shot of his own. And the way they play off of each other, I find that scene to be probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. And, 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 and it's because the two of them just perform so well together. But but he, yeah, you're, you're moved by it. And I, I think he's, he's really good. Uh, but of course, I mean, I can watch a supercut of Burgess Meredith yelling at people as Mickey 24 hours a day and never get sick of it. I mean, yeah. I, I used to do uh, Mickey impersonations and yell at people randomly because uh, <laughs> it's just a favorite thing in, in the world. So it may be my bias, but I just really love it. I love that performance. I can't even imagine anyone else doing it other than him. It just works for me on every level. So I feel like that's the one that I would have voted for. Uh, and it's obviously still the test of time. So, uh, yeah. but I will make one side note, which is a, a funny story that I read when I was looking in a marathon man actually years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a funny story about um, Olivier and Hoffman. They were doing a scene together and Dustin Hoffman comes in. I don't know if, for those who haven't seen the movie, I mean, he plays a runner, but he gets involved in like this conspiracy and he's kind of always being chased by people and he's exhausted for most of the movie. But he comes into the scene and it was like he'd been running for days and he's sweaty and he's just disheveled and he's kind of a mess. And Olivier basically asks him, like, you know, what, what, what's going on with you? Like, what's, what's wrong with you? And he tells him that this is his method for getting into the scene. So Dustin Hoffman, more of a modern actor, kind of in the, the method style, where Olivier is a classically trained actor from decades before who uh, was trained in a very different style of acting. So Hoffman explains to him that that's what he's doing to get in, in, in place he needs for the character. And Olivier basically says to him, it's like, 
the quote is, my dear boy, that's why it's called acting, <laughs> which I just kind of love. It just, it says everything you need to know about Olivier. He just thinks that whole thing is ridiculous. That it's like you show up, you play the part, and then you go back to, to whatever your life was. You don't have to kill yourself. Yeah. I heard, you know, I heard a, a very similar story about The Edge, that film with Alec Baldwin and uh, Anthony Hopkins, where Alec Baldwin was on set before the scene was ready to start. And he just starts doing push-ups to get out of breath. And Anthony Hopkins is like, what are you doing? So maybe maybe that didn't even happen. Maybe this is like a, a revision of the Marathon Man story. I don't know. But it, it sounds like very identical. Or maybe that's just, you know, old school, old school, new school. And, and it happens on every set where there's an old timer with a young guy. <laughs> yeah, it probably does. It's just that that I remember hearing that story years and years ago. It's always stayed with me. I just think it's a really funny encapsulation yeah. of these two styles of acting. Uh, and think about Olivier too, which for me, and this is totally off topic. My first experience of Olivier was seeing him as uh, Neil Diamond's uh, rabbi father in in the jazz singer, yeah. which is totally weird. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, watching him play a rabbi and then watching him play a Nazi, it's pretty jarring. That shows the range of Olivier, like what he could really do. Um, all right, let's move on to Best Actress. Uh, Faye Dunaway won for Network. Marie, Marie Christine Boulot uh, was also nominated for Cousin Kazine. Talia Shire for Rocky. Sissy Spacek and Carrie and Liv Ullman in uh, Face to Face. Who do you think should have won? So, so this is... An interesting one, and this this may be anecdotal. I was looking at all of this too when we talked about how it's considered a classic year for movies. But even looking at the the nominees, you can see a lot of foreign films kind of get nominations sprinkled here and there. And I think in some ways that speaks to the fact that there were a handful of great great movies in '76, but not a lot of them. So they, I feel like they went to foreign films a little more than I'm used to seeing. And maybe that's maybe I'm wrong in seeing it that way, but I. That's what I've noticed. I mean, two actors in a leading role category uh, coming out of foreign films, which I think is interesting. But um, yeah. I did watch Face to Face, and I can definitely say that that movie only works because of that performance. I mean, it's it's a, a movie built around one person, slow mental collapse, and she really holds her own in that movie. Uh, in some ways, it's, it's a, a sister movie to, to carry. I mean, both of them are kind of slowly falling apart and i have to say both of them are both pretty over the top performances yeah so that's what cost us space like the the uh the oscar as well i think i think she went wide-eyed just a little too much uh again with, with talia shire i think we have in our mind what we see adrian as but in the original rocky it's a really subtle performance at first and yeah you know the way she kind of comes out of her shell the way that they help each other and, and you see that slow change in her gradually throughout the movie I, I think she plays that part really well so I, I think that they were all strong performances but yeah I think they got it right here Faye Dunaway is completely uh, she completely holds the screen and again she's a lone female in a movie with tons of strong actors yeah uh, playing off of William Holden but I mean, and and she commands the screen at all times it's it's almost like I mean, I hate to say this, but it almost feels like the part is written as a male part. Um, that that's almost the energy that it gives off, and that's the way yeah. she's unapologetic, as if you know she was a man in charge, and that's what makes it work because she she's the one that doesn't deal in emotional uh, frivolities and things like that. 
for William Holden is the one desperately trying to to, to get her to uh, acknowledge his feelings, which I think is great. Yeah, so, yeah I agree completely. It, it's definitely kind of written for a man, like a man's role, and uh, beautifully done. Like, I, yeah, I have no uh, nothing really to add. It's just a fantastic performance um, in a year of great performances by women. But I think, yeah, for sure the winner. Um, yeah, easy one. Okay, best actor. Uh, we're really getting into the network stuff here. Uh, Peter Finch wins for network as Howard Beale, of course. Uh, the other nominees, Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver, Giancarlo Giannini uh, for Seven Beauties, William Holden in network, and Stallone, of course, as Rocky. Tough category. First on this one, yeah. Yeah. The, the 80s kid in me just wants Sylvester Stallone to have it. But... Is that because you know that he will never give another Oscar-worthy performance in his career? So it's a retrospect kind of thing. One He's not shot. dead yet, you know. Yeah, well, it's fair. He did do Copland, but I don't think uh, Cobra was going to get any nominations. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I didn't come into this prepared because I was really kind of torn on this one. Uh, for me, I would almost call it a tie between Peter Finch and Robert De Niro. Um William Holden is fantastic as well, but uh, boy, those two just for almost similar reasons. I mean, just really disgruntled uh, leading men. Uh, they're both just so good. But I, I guess if I had to pick one, I would say Peter Finch is my winner. So I think they got it right. Um, just a, a performance of of getting unhinged and in inside of the media circus of his network and uh, with so much going on around him, he he does it so perfectly. So yeah, I'm going Peter Finch. So I think it speaks to how strong Peter Finch's performance was. That in this case, you have two actors nominated for the same movie, and they don't cancel each other out. Like you would think yeah. that's usually how that ends up playing out. But Peter Finch is so good that I don't think William Holden even affects his vote total. That he just kind of runs away with it. Just just to say again, this is similar to the idea of, of Meryl Streep. Being in any other year, I think De Niro wins hands down. Yeah. I mean, that's a really hard role to play. A person slowly descending into madness and being able to, to construct, he was in on like every single scene because it's from his perspective. It's crazy good part. And, um, and I mean, De Niro is De Niro. So it, 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 I mean, it's hard to argue with that. Uh, let's just say William Holden, yeah, I, I, enjoyed that role and i think he was really well cast i i thought it was good work but definitely i think fifth out of five stallone is uh, i could wax forever about rocky and stallone in general uh i do think again that because the role becomes a caricature in lots of ways that we forget how much heart and how much subtlety he puts into that character yeah and so even that scene with mickey that i mentioned before i mean right the way he he plays it just so hurt and and then the way he explodes. And I, I just do not think that he gets enough credit for this role in this movie in terms of being an actor, because we can't separate it from what it ends up becoming and what he ends up becoming as an actor. And we can't separate the person from the role and all of that. But but I, I, I really feel that everyone should go back and rewatch it, just kind of remember why everyone fell in love with Rocky in the first place. And, and it was this role and the way that he played it. Uh, I had never seen Seven Beauties before when I watched it, and what a crazy movie that is. Uh, it's another one of those whiplash kind of movies where the tone of the movie changes so dramatically, where it's almost like 
it goes from screwball comedy to concentration camp movie. Yeah. Uh, rolled into <laughs> one movie. So I have no argument with the fact that uh, Giannini is nominated because part he has to play in almost two completely different roles and he has to kind of go from this frivolous caricature of, of a, a Italian macho guy into just a shell-shocked human being by the yeah. end. And he plays it with his eyes. And it's it's it was pretty powerful, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I agree with you. I think that this is Peter Finch's year, hands down. Uh, and not just for the the bombast and all of that, which is certainly the central part of the role. I mean, he gives these grand speeches and then collapses and, and all of that. It's it's, uh, it's it's pretty over the top. But the parts that I loved is the small glimpses when he's not on camera, mm-hmm. when you kind of just see him as a confused old man. In, in the speech with Ned Beatty, where it's like he plays it kind of confused and a little bit lost. Right. And there's those subtleties where you you almost get the sense that, that he's a, a broken human. And you're not really sure if he knows what he's doing. You're, and you're, you're not yeah. absolutely sure how in control he is of all of this. And I think you're supposed to question that. That he yep. is a tool being used, but you don't really even know where he himself feels about all of this. Uh, whether he's truly having a breakdown or whether he's actually doing this because he knows it's it's a shot at fame or or all of these things, his way to stay on television. So I think that it's the, the subtle moments where you begin to, to, to question his motivations and, and all of that that make the role really, really work. Uh, that That's what I loved about it. So you get no argument from me. Yeah, I think just the range of the character and the, and the performances, I think that's what you're saying is, is it's all over the spectrum and it's uh, he does it just so well. Uh, all right, let's move on to best director. You have, uh, oh, you're going to love this. <laughs> John G. <laughs> Avildsen for Rocky as the winner. Um, and then you have Alan J. Pakula for All the President's Men. Ingmar Bergman for Face to Face. Sidney Lamette for Network. Lena Wertmuller for Seven Beauties. Um, what do you think? I think yeah. I know. Yeah, this is a this is another really, really hard category. <laughs> uh, really, really strong. Again, you know, having seen Seven Beauties and, and trying to, to hold together a movie with completely different tones and, and trying to, to balance all that, I think is pretty difficult. Uh, you know, Sidney Lumet is Sidney Lumet. I, I think it's a wonderfully directed movie. But again, I think when we think of Network, we think of it as a screenwriter's movie. I mean, I, I get that. Face to face, I mean, that's interesting because I think that. that Bergman was nominated probably more for who they were mm-hmm. than this particular movie, because I do think in some ways it, it's the actor that kind of carries this movie as, as opposed to the director. Maybe you can say the director is what brought out the great performance. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we could have that argument, but I, I do think that uh, it's the actress that holds the screen and um, some of it's a little bit weird. And, and uh, I would say that it, probably not Bergman's best directing performance. All the President's Men, that, that is a hard one. As we said, it's it's in the screenplay. But again, it takes something that's dry and to make it exciting, make it interesting, I think is, is a huge challenge. And that, that's why I think Pakula is, uh, I think that that's just a bang up job. But again, he was surrounded by just a, a murderer's row of good actors in right. that movie. So uh, again, it's uh, be one, you know, one or the other. So it may not surprise you, 
but I like to think it would. I really do put thought into this. I do not blindly just uh, pick things that I like. But I do think that Appleson deserves to win Best Director. And this is the reason why. We've discussed all of these performances. Uh, and every main performance in Rocky was not. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, while we can credit the actors and, and we can say all of this, I think that when every performance from a movie is nominated, I think that that's just a director being at the top of what they do, being able to bring out every nuance of these characters and to get them to, to bring you know, their best performances to the screen. Right. Uh, nothing, and as you can see with subsequent Rocky movies, as things start to become a little more cartoonish and over the top, you almost appreciate even more how well he keeps things subtle and keeps all the performances just restrained enough that the powerful moments read as being really powerful and the subtle moments uh, just almost slide by. Or in some moments, some of the dialogue is so low, you can barely hear it. And, and there's just a lot of quiet to this movie as well. And that's where all the, 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 the really key things happen. So I think that that, that is, is probably why he deserves to win. And I mean, he did it so well that he ends up doing it again uh, seven years later when he makes the Karate Kid. So I mean, right. that's how good it was. It was so good that he actually did it twice. <laughs> Well, I think that's a that's a great point, and and uh, yeah, I mean, maybe he maybe he is uh, deserving of it. Uh, for me, it was kind of a toss up between Pakula and Lamette. Um, like you said about uh, a film having all of their actors nominated, uh, Network had that, and I, I think I'm gonna interrupt for one second and yep. say I did think about it, and the reason I say it for Rocky and not necessarily for Network is because with network, all of those actors are seasoned, you know, actors who know, you know they've been doing it for a very, very long time. Right. So in terms of Rocky, you're dealing with a lot of first time actors. I mean, Natalia Shire had obviously been the godfather, but you know, no one thought she was particularly great in that. Right. Uh, but only been in a, few, a couple of things. Stallone obviously is second role. Uh, yeah. Burgess Meredith is Burgess Meredith. You know, that, that one. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, you're dealing with younger actors or actors who are, who are coming up. Whereas right. Network, we had a great, and just like all the President's Men, where you just, all the actors are there. I mean, so you're just kind of working with a great palette. Where with Rocky, it's possible that in different hands, those actors could have played those characters very different. So I don't mean to interrupt you. I just wanted to say that, that I had considered that. Yeah, I, and well, and I mean, maybe that's just uh, Avildsen's wheelhouse. You know, if you look at the stuff he does later, it, like the Karate Kid, you know, maybe that template is where he lives. And and no no matter who is going to be in it, that's he can direct those films. Like that's right. no one would ever say that Avildsen's a better director than Sidney Lumet, but maybe in this particular <laughs> kind of movie, he is the best at it. That's true. Um, I think everything you're saying makes perfect sense. Um, but for me, it, it is between Pakula and Lamette. Um, I think those are the, the stronger films, in my opinion. Um, although Rocky is obviously incredible. But um, yeah, I, I think sometimes maybe with those seasoned actors, there might be a little more ego there. And it might even require a little more effort to... Uh, to round them up and get them to do what you want because they, they could possibly even think they know better. Um, I certainly know that that was the case with Sidney Lamette and Patty Chayefsky, the screenwriter. Uh, there was a real battle there. Um, so just, 
being at the helm, you know, it has all of these different challenges, uh, depending on what film you're on and who you're working with. Um, but what's on the screen ultimately to me in this, in this category, I'm going to give it to Lamette. I, I just think network was such a well done film, uh, in every aspect. And, uh, I feel like I'm, uh, lobbying for best picture here, but I just think Lumet did such a great job in in all aspects of it, and and got those great performances. Even though he might not have had to work as hard from <laughs> from the seasoned actors, but uh, I still think whatever the behind the scenes thing was, what he got and what he made was uh, just incredible. So yeah, that's uh, an excellent point. I mean, using seasoned actors, yeah, there may be egos to to massage and and certain things you have to deal with that. And I, and and I know that no one thinks that working with Dustin Hoffman is easy. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there's that too uh, for for Akula, but yeah, yeah. So for me, it's Network and Sydney Lumet. Um, all right, here we go with Best Picture. Uh, this is a very exciting one. Uh, Rocky is your Best Picture winner. The other nominees are All the President's Men, Bound for Glory, Network, and Taxi Driver. I, I feel like there needs to be like. Like you have consistency here. <laughs> Rocky's your movie. <laughs> um, but I am I am really all over the place with it because I think I, I try to look at it from the Academy's perspective in that year. And it's really hard to have lived through the subsequent years and having had these films in the zeitgeist as much as they were to have sort of an objective opinion without taking all of that into account. So you just have to really break it down and not think about the longevity of a film or its its uh, influence on the culture. So for me, I think I'm going to go with All the President's Men. And the reason for that is because it's really well done and it's it's so of that moment, I think. And I think it uses just some great techniques. Uh, we talked about the split diopter earlier, and I, that's questionable. <laughs> I mean, I love the the notion of using it. So uh, visually, it's edited really well. Um, great performances, great writing, uh, and great direction. I, I just think if I look back, and and Sidney Lumet is one of my favorite directors, and I love Network. It's one of my favorite films of all time. And the same with Rocky. But I think if I'm looking objectively at this year, uh, All the President's Men just feels like the closest thing to a perfect film for me. W what do you think? Uh, I know what you think that I think. And I will say that, that uh, I went into this with the idea that I did not think that Rocky deserved to win Best Picture. Mm -hmm. So so we'll say that out of the gate. I, I yeah. thought the director thing was correct. But I always kind of grappled with the idea whether or not Rocky deserved to win Best Picture. Uh, and other people talked about this. Uh, I'm impressed that they even nominated Taxi Driver for Best Picture. Because yeah. it's a very difficult movie, I and mean, I appreciate the fact they got a nomination because it's, it's, in terms of films, it deserves the nomination. Uh, I wanted to say earlier, and I, I forgot to mention it, but Paul Schrader's screenplay, uh, not getting nominated, I thought was sort of missing out. I, yeah, I, I agree, because even uh, I watched a documentary on the making of the movie, and they talk about how everything in the movie was on the screenplay. All the direction yeah. Yeah. the camera work was actually written into the screenplay already. Like He saw it all. It's, it's truly his vision. Right. So I agree with you. I do think, though, it's just a battle between three movies. But I will say, though, I had never seen Bound for Glory either. And I really enjoyed that movie. Mm. Uh, I thought it was a great 
snapshot of a specific period of time mm -hmm. kind of brings you into what it was really like to be in that Dust Bowl period. And and also, I mean, probably because it was taken from something written by Woody Guthrie. Right. <laughs> so it kind of gives you, gives you the hero's journey of Guthrie. And the thing about it, though, the reason I realized how much I liked it was that it wasn't short. It was actually probably the longest of all these movies. It was like two hours and 25 minutes or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it ends really at very close to the beginning of his story. It's really just his origin before he even becomes famous. It's like almost pre-fame, right? He's on the cusp of fame. And when it ends, I thought it ended too soon. I really was interested in seeing more of when he goes to New York and when he really ends up becoming uh, uh -huh. that we, we know him to be. So, I mean, what better sign for a movie than that, that it was two hours and 25 minutes and I felt like I could have stayed in this world for, for a while longer. And I, and I do have mm -hmm. to say that I think that the 70s is the perfect period of time to have made this movie mm -hmm. because the 70s is a very leisurely film decade. Uh, you were allowed to linger on things, just kind of hang out. There's a lot of movies of people just hanging around, uh, some, some longer shots. And Hal Ashby being the director, I think it's, it's, it fits really well. The, the pace of it's very leisurely and you just kind of hang out. There's a lot of yeah. just letting the, letting the story breathe. And I don't know, I mean, I think if you made this movie in the 80s, you would have got a very, very different movie. Well, that's the that's the new Hollywood of the 70s. These these young filmmakers were influenced by the world and they like to linger. So so this movie benefits from that because it's a very slow period of time. So uh, I, I think that the 70s is just the perfect moment to have made this movie. You're putting that aside, I just think it's it's a, a year or three movies. Network, All the President's Men, and Rocky. Right. At the end of the day, I just don't think you can go wrong with having picked any of those three movies. But after watching all three, you know, I, I told you that some of these weird criteria that I have in terms of, of watching these movies and, and how I feel about them. Uh, and I, I agree with you that All the President's Men is very much an of its time movie. It captures a moment in time. But when you think of 76, I mean, you really think of one movie. I think if you ask most people that they they would think of Rocky. I think that Rocky mm -hmm. kind of, even with as great as the other two movies are, Rocky comes out of 76 being the movie that everyone thinks of when they think of 76. And and again, it kind of revolutionized the sport movie. It, it kind of invented the, the training sequence, which becomes just the template for everything that, that comes yeah. after. And while I, I don't disagree with it losing all the other categories, you know, I, I do think the director and, and picture actually fit. I think that all the other wins for acting and everything else makes sense. But you're talking about a, a movie. You know, which movie do you, really speaks to you in terms of the year? Yeah. And which movie is the one that you would want to watch again, you know, once it's over? And I think that, that Rocky really fits that. Because Network, Network's just a, there's, there's a, a certain meanness to it. You know, it, it's satire and it bites. Yeah. So I think it, it makes it a little bit less rewatchable. I know this is a, a weird criteria to have for best picture. I'm, try, I'm trying to, to parse these things. And All the President's Men, yeah, it's it's 50-50 for me. Because I do think that All the President's Men is a rewatchable movie. It really is. But Rocky, we'll put it this way. I'm watching Rocky for the hundredth time for, for this. And the part at the very end where... They're trying to interview him and he's screaming for Adrian. 
which again can be a, almost an annoying scene if, if done poorly. But it's it still gets me. It still chokes me up just a little bit. Like just that yeah. moment where it's not about the fight. You know, that other stuff is happening in the background. And it and we don't even necessarily it's very quick where we hear that he loses and it's not even important. Yeah. Just that moment where where they finish their journey together and 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 find each other. And I have to admit it gets me every time. And I know yeah. that it's I know that it's uh sappy and and all of that. And no one has ever accused me of not being sappy. I will cop to that. So, and I know many people hate Rocky for that reason. They think it's overly sentimental and, and all of that. Which is why I didn't deserve the win in 76, which people wanted tougher movies like Taxi Driver. But it gets me every time, even even the hundredth time. It still gets me. Yeah. And and to me, that that kind of says it all. That's why I, I came back around to the idea that I do think that Rocky deserved the win. Okay. That's a compelling argument. Yeah, I don't want agree. anyone here to think that that. I'm just being lazy and, and picking and picking my favorites. I will <laughs> I will hop to my Stallone bias, and maybe we'll get into that it's somewhere down the road. Feels like its own podcast. That's uh, that we're gonna have to do. Okay, there you have it. Uh, those are our picks, and I think maybe you can explain this a little better than I can. But we want to do something a little different now and and add our own categories. So we we thought about giving out our own award for the year, which we call the Hell of a Year Award, which we're going to. You can give it to the person that we think really had the standout year of of the uh, of this particular year. So for '76, so we have yeah, we have some nominees. Uh, yeah, we're, we're taking this seriously, so we're actually going to give some nominees. First nominee is is Sylvester Stallone, who obviously had an almost perfect year where they finally get the movie they've been trying to make and uh, it essentially makes their career. So I, I definitely think that he deserves the nomination. You had nominated Ned Beatty. That's right. Ned Beatty. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, so I, I kind of based this on the, the people who worked a lot. And what I found is that just about everybody in the seventies was in three or four films per year. De Niro was in three films in 1976. Jason Robards was in three films in 1976. Faye Dunaway was in, I think three films in 1976, but Ned Beatty just has I mean, he has that scene in Network, which was amazing. Um, also has a scene in uh, All the President's Men. Uh, a little more understated, but still a fun scene. Uh, I, I As I rewatched that, actually, I found I, I kind of made some connections between him and my favorite actor in the world, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, I felt like his, his little bit part in All the President's Men was a real... Uh, Phil role. Um, he was also in Silver Streak in 1976. So he's all over the place. Uh, Mikey and Nikki as well. So hell of a year for Ned Beatty. Uh, is it re-Oscared, Oscar-worthy? I don't know. So we, have, we have two other nominees, and to me, they go together. William Goldman and Dustin Hoffman. William Goldman wrote two screenplays in 76. One was Marathon Man, based on his book, and All the President's Men. And Dustin Hoffman started Marathon Man, and also starred in All the President's Men. Yeah. So they are both connected to these two movies. And I think, uh, drum roll, the, the winner of this category for this year, it, it's a tie between William Goldman and Dustin Hoffman. They win the hell really? of I, I, I think. I would give it to them because I think that those two movies, I mean, making one great movie and then usually you might make some garbage movies, possibly. But to make 
two great movies yeah. in the same year. I mean, how is that not a hell of a year? I know, I mean, I know everyone thought I was going to go with Stallone. I, I know it. I just think that you can't really knock having written two great screenplays and starring in two great movies. Uh, two movies are classics of the of the, the year. And I think Goldman probably ghost wrote two or three screenplays. <laughs> he oh, kind of had a pension for that as well. Um, all right. Dustin Hoffman and William Goldman. Um, for me, I think, so I came into it thinking Ned Beatty because I, he he had that one huge scene, uh, got an Oscar nomination, did a lot of different work in four different films that year. But I have to say that you make a compelling argument for Sylvester Stallone. And I think wow. you've sold me on Sly. I think what a year for him. Uh, it basically set in motion everything that would be the rest of his life. And to me, that is that is worthy of an award if we're looking at what the year meant. Uh, I'd say that's a hell of a year. Without that, we wouldn't have over the top. So we have to be thankful. That's right. So last thing, we like to look at our guilty pleasures of the year. Mm -hmm. And 76, as I've said many times so far on this podcast, it's a weird year because there's a lot of bad movies, not necessarily a lot of bad movies that are good. So guilty pleasures were a bit harder to come by. And maybe that's an us problem because we don't dive enough into the, the minutia of movies uh, like Tarantino or something to find the gems and, and all the trash. But out of the ones that, that we know, I have a choice. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. I don't really know that they're guilty pleasures as much as just kind of smaller films that I enjoyed. So maybe by that sense, they are guilty pleasures since nobody really knows about them. But I... I think people do know about them and they're actually both uh, pretty well received. But the first one is from John Cassavetes and it's The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, which is just a fantastic, gritty 70s film. And actually, that reminds me that maybe somebody who had a hell of a year was Ben Gazzara, um, who was uh, in just about everything I watched and looked exactly like he did when I saw him 20 years later in in. Buffalo 66 and everything beyond that. I'm going to interrupt you and say real quick. Yeah. <laughs> another retroactive nominee for Hell of a Year is probably Jodie Foster because, yeah. I mean, she was in Taxi Driver. She was in Freaky Friday. Yeah. And she was even in Bugsy Malone that year. <laughs> so, I mean, think about the range. Think about the range of Jodie Foster. And she was like 12. And carrying a, a, a bigger load than Ned Beatty was when he was That's right. showing that range, too. Uh, much bigger performances. We'll stand by my my uh, award winner, but I just wanted. Yeah, to me too. Yeah, so the killing of a Chinese bookie. Um, it's just like pure Cassavetes, Ben Gazzara, and Seymour Cassell. Uh, it, it's gritty. It's dark. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. Um, and then, kind of similarly, is uh, and I actually need to revisit this one, but uh, this one stars John Cassavetes and it's, it's Elaine May's uh, Mikey and Nikki with uh, Cassavetes and Peter Falk. Uh, it's a mob movie. It's fun. It's dark. It's, it's uh, really entertaining. So yeah, those are two that I think you should seek out. Uh, they're not necessarily, uh, Oh, also Ned Beatty was in that, <laughs> um, but they're not 
really things that are on the radar. I guess they are if you're kind of into smaller films, but uh, for somebody who's looking for something a little deeper to look at, check out Mikey and Nikki and the killing of a Chinese bookie. What about you? So that's why I let you go first because I had a feeling <laughs> you're going to pick those two movies. And I, I pushed those aside because I didn't think that fell in the guilty pleasure category because I think they're good movies. Yeah. So I'll let you go with that. I'm going to tell you what didn't win for me. Uh, one okay. was Logan's Run. I did not win. I did not uh-huh. get any for me because <laughs> it's unwatchable. Yeah. Just a weird thing. I didn't even know they made a movie based on the song Ode to Billy Joe. A very popular song in the 70s. And yeah. Bobby Benson starred in it, which is just totally weird. I remember I like this. That would actually fall into a guilty pleasure for me, but it wasn't any good either. So uh, it did not. But I, that was just something that I stumbled on that I thought was pretty wild. I remember that film. I'd never seen it. So I watched it real quick and uh, no, but, but it exists. So I just wanted to put that out there. For me, I think there's only one movie that falls into guilty pleasure category, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I really like Bad News Bears, but we mentioned that before. I, I just think that's... Yeah, uh, yeah. But for anyone who thinks the Bad News Bears is a fun movie to watch with your children because it's PG and it's about baseball, don't watch it with your children. It's just yeah. not a movie for kids. <laughs> I don't know how it got away with thinking it was a movie for kids, even in the 70s, but it was the 70s, so... Different uh, time. Different time. But do not watch that movie with your children. So for me... The silly, guilty pleasure movie that I've always liked from 76 was Murder by Death. And I know that it is stupid. I also know that uh, there's a borderline offensive performance by Peter Sellers. <laughs> uh, I know all these things. But yes, I watched Murder by Death when I was small. And it kind of made my, it gave me my love of murder box movies. And, and I actually started reading Agatha Christie not too long after that. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So Murder by Death kind of like brought me into this world. And I love Peter Falk. So I yeah. obviously enjoyed that. And Eileen Brennan is also in this movie who ends up being in Clue, which ends up being my guilty pleasure movie of any year. Yeah. Uh, Clue just knocks that out of the park for me. I love it. So Eileen Brennan being in two of my favorite dumb murder box movies is, is pretty great. Uh, Truman Capote also in this. I mean, you look at the cast of it, it's really <laughs> something. I mean, David Alec Nevin, Guinness Nevin, and Truman Capote. And James Coco, who is, is just a 70s all-star. Um, I yeah. always love James Coco. Like, said, yep. late 70s, early 80s, he's just in a bunch of stuff. James uh, Cromwell, Maggie yeah. Smith. Wow. Right. So it, it's just a really good cast in a really stupid movie, you know, written by Neil Simon. It's just one of those movies. I think if you catch it at the right time, which for me when I was a kid, uh, I've always always had a soft spot for it. I really enjoy it. Um, what I recommend it? I'm not really sure. I, I, I don't know. It's it's, it's and you get, when you're in the 70s, it's hard to recommend movies to people because uh, you don't know their sensibilities. But it's pretty stupid, and I've always enjoyed. it. Yeah, I'm gonna add it to my list. I've never seen it. It looks great. It looks great on paper. Just know it always goes for the cheap laugh. There's no subtlety in it. So. If you understand that going in, I actually think Clue is more subtle than Murder by Death, but it's also short too. 90 minutes, you're in, you're out, good time. They seem to be enjoying themselves. It's fun. Good to good to pair with Sidney Lynette's Death Trap? Uh, sure. I mean, if you watch them back to back though, Murder by Death will definitely hurt in comparison. <laughs> so same Death Trap is, is one of my favorites. It's one of my top favorite Murder Box movies. Yeah. Yeah, so you may want to watch them like a week apart, or at least- okay. 
Don't watch. Don't let Death Trap first. We'll, we'll say that. How about that? Okay. <laughs> Good to know. So yeah, I mean that's it, and I I uh, hear the music, so I think we're getting played off. That's another episode, Mike. Thanks very much, and uh, letting me uh, wax on about the useless things. Appreciate it. Yeah, um, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.